We serve a mighty God, and as Jonathan just said, no matter what's been going on, he is wonderful. He is the ultimate counselor, almighty God, everlasting Father. And so as we continue on this morning, will you join me and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for who you are, for that reminder this morning that you are God, that there is no one like you, that you are faithful, that you love us so much, that you sent your begotten son into this world, that we could have everlasting life with you. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your gift of life, and we thank you for the things that you're going to teach us today, for the things that you're going to reveal to us today, and I thank you so much for the hope that you give us in Christmas and in what you've done. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide our hearts, our minds, and this morning as I share it, may it not be my words at all, but all you, Lord Jesus. Pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning as I continue on this series, The Family Tree, that we've been looking at over the past few weeks. And as I've been thinking about the family tree, I've started to think about my family tree. And I actually don't know too much about my family tree beyond my grandparents. But I know for some people, you know generations back and you can see different things that have happened in the past and that's amazing. And so part of me goes, I kind of want to know. I kind of want to like delve back into the history and like to be able to see what God has done, what God is doing through my family tree um, over the years and the generations. But then I also know that even just in looking at my family tree, just in what I know of, I know that there's been some stuff that's happened that hasn't been great. There's been some stuff that's happened that's been painful, confusing. And I am so, don't get me wrong, I'm so thankful for my family. I'm so thankful to have been in, born into the family that I am born into. And I'm so thankful that I can see different generational chains being broken in the name of Jesus. And that all goes glory to God. I can look at our family and I can see lots of different good memories, lots of joy, smiles, adventures, but I can also see a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt. And I know that for like both sides of my family, it hasn't been all just smiles and rainbows and happy stuff and flowers. There's been a lot of different journeys. And I'm sure that you can think of that in your family tree as well, over the generations or even just in your lifetime. You've seen a whole heap of stuff, both things you look back on with joy, things you look back on with confusion, but the thing is, as I start to look around our church and I look at the families, I look at our stories that I know of, I know that God has put each one of us here for his purpose at this time, for such a time as this, and all the glory goes to him. So no matter what you've been going through, no matter what kind of family you have had, God has put you here at this place for his purposes right now. How cool is that? That's amazing. And so I'm excited to share with you today as we continue to look at the family tree of Jesus, because in it all, as Pastor Ron's even shared about, and we're going to look at it a bit more, we come to see, and you might, might already know, that Jesus' family tree is actually full of people who had a lot of struggles, 
people who just messed up because they were people, but in it all, there is hope. In it all, we can have hope. And so I've titled this message, The Hope in Christmas, or Hope of Christmas, because even as you look at Jesus's genealogy, there is so much hope. And so today we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 1, only looking at verses 1 to 6, because there is a lot to unpack in just those first six verses. Don't have too much time to dive into each person's story individually, but we are going to be focusing on um, King David and just a little bit before him, um, so we get a bit of the picture. So we're going to read the genealogy of Jesus as recorded in Matthew chapter 1. And I am going to pause a little bit throughout this reading just to give some background and some other stuff through that, just because there is so much that we can just miss as we read even just these first six verses. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, starting there. It says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. So Pastor Ron talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob last week. So verse 3, it says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. I'm going to pause right there. This is significant. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but you can read all about this in Genesis chapter 38. Right here, it's kind of a scandal, or is a scandal, um, because as we read Genesis 38, we find out that Tamar was actually Judah's daughter-in-law. And so Perez and Zerah are twins born to Judah through his daughter-in-law. You can read about that in Genesis 38. There's reasons why that happened. I'm not going to dive into that this morning. But anyway, some scandal right there. So Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Pause right there as well. This is another interesting point. Because Salmon had a child with Rahab. You may have heard of Rahab before. You'll find Rahab in the Old Testament um, looking at in Jericho, Jericho chapter 2. This is when Joshua was about to lead Israel into the promised land. They'd been wandering the desert for 40 years and it was time for Israel to move forward. And so Joshua sent a few spies into Jericho to have a look around what's going on. And Rahab was the one who looked after these spies. Rahab was not an Israelite. Rahab was a prostitute and she protected these spies. And because of that, they God had favour looked upon favor, Rahab with favor, and she was welcomed into the family of God. And so, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So she became, she joined Israel and became part of the family. Continuing on, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Pause there as well. This is interesting too, because Ruth also wasn't an Israelite. But she was brought into Jesus' family tree. You can read all about Ruth in the book of Ruth and her journey there. And it's a beautiful, it's four chapters, I think. And it's beautiful. You can read it and learn about it there. But Ruth was actually a Moabite. She was a widow, a Moabite widow. Her late husband was an Israelite and her mother-in-law was also an Israelite. Her mother-in-law was named Naomi. 
and cut a long story short, they moved back to Israel and Naomi was saying, Ruth, just go back to your family. Like, just go back to your Moabite, like your family, where you're from. And Ruth is like, no. In Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, it says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. It's a really strong commitment there that Ruth is making to her mother-in-law. And so Ruth committed to following God, the God of Israel. And in time, she married Boaz, and they had a son named Obed. And so again, you can read this in the book of Ruth. But then Matthew continues, Matthew chapter 1 continues, Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And that's where we're going to end our reading of Matthew chapter 1 for this morning. And so today, we're going to focus on King David who was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. And this is also a significant scandal that we are going to look more into this morning. But already in those first six verses of Jesus' genealogy and family tree, we can see people who struggled. We can see people who messed up. We can see people, though, who turned to the Lord, who committed to him and were welcomed into Jesus' family, even though they probably weren't people that you would have thought would be part of Jesus' family in the first place. But here they are in Jesus' genealogy. And so even just in that, looking at those verses, we can have hope. Hope, because we can be part of the family of God, and that is what Jesus has made possible for us entirely in what he has done. So King David, there is a lot that could be said about King David, and if you've read through, um, I guess, the books of Samuel and the Kings and Chronicles, you'll get to know about David and his family, and there is a lot that happened in David's life. Right from when he was a young boy, you might think of David and Goliath and how David was this little shepherd kid and Goliath is this giant, and he's the one who had faith in God to defeat the enemy. David had this trust and faith in God and gave God all the glory, even as a kid. And so we're going to start reading about David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And so what we're reading right now in chapter 16, a whole heap of stuff has happened. Israel had had a king and his name was King Saul. And basically what had happened was King Saul hadn't done the right things and he wasn't, his heart wasn't close to God's. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, who was like the judge and the priest at the time who did all of these different things, he says, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. 
find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Because remember, Samuel was his judge at the time. And Samuel said, yes, Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So purify yourselves, come with me to sacrifice. And then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Aminadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, this is not the, Lord, the one the Lord's chosen. Next, Jesse summons Shemaiah, but Samuel says, neither is this one the Lord has chosen. And in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? Uh, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Well, send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for them. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord powerfully came upon David from that day on. And Samuel returned to Ramah. I love this. This is what's just taken place is amazing. Samuel was the high priest, the judge's person who had such a significant part in Israel's history. And he came to anoint the next king. And while he initially went looking for a certain kind of person, it turned out to be the youngest one in the family, like the one of maybe least significance in people's eyes. But as we read in verse 7, God looks at the heart. Samuel went in with an idea of who the next king should be, somebody tall with a certain, I don't know, stature, certain look about him. But in verse 7, it says, don't judge by his appearance, or God says, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at our hearts. So outwardly, in our circumstances, we might see people and we might think that say, they seem inadequate for what we're thinking or, or we might feel inadequate for a certain task. We might look at ourselves and go, but I'm not smart enough or tall enough. You might be the shortest or the youngest in your family or you might be the one that seems least likely to succeed. That was probably David. Like David was the youngest kid and, and his dad's even just like, oh, they're still the youngest, I guess. Like you could see if he's the right one. I don't know. How many times have we 
rejected somebody or even ourselves because of physical abilities or appearance or just the way that we've just looked at them and we're like, oh, not you. So where is our hearts? Where are our hearts? God knows our hearts. And I know that I've been there many times, even just in conversations over the last few weeks, I know that I've, in a conversation I was having, I know my initial reaction was not good about a person, but I was only basing that on my, my perception of this person and how uncomfortable it would be to me. I didn't really think of the person at first, but through conversation and through like just God talking to me through that, God reminded me like, I don't know their heart. I don't know the plan that God has. And that's the same for each one of us. God knows our hearts. God knows everyone's hearts. And so he's the one that has the plan. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to that kind of thinking about a person, maybe even about yourself. Maybe you feel like you could never do something that you're not good enough, that you're not able to do, whatever it is. But if God has, well, God does have a plan for you. And if he has planned for you to speak, then you need to start speaking up and speaking out or learning what that means to start speaking and sharing. If God has a plan, has planned for you to create, stop doubting your creativity and start creating and using the gift that God has given you in that. If God has planned for you to lead, but you don't really see yourself as a leader, Stop telling yourself that you're not a leader and listening to that voice that tells you that you're not a leader. Start stepping into that. God doesn't look at your outward appearance or how tall or short you are. God looks at your heart. He knows your heart. He knew King David's heart and he knows yours now. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David was a man after God's own heart. And I know we can see that from when he was a young boy, we can see that he relied on God and had so much faith in God. We know that he loved God's commands and that he knew them and his heart was to do the will of God. He was a man after God's own heart. I want to be that kind of person, and I pray that that would be each one of our desires as well, to be a person after God's own heart. But the thing is, even though David had this heart to please the Lord, even though he was a man after God's own heart, there were times when he made mistakes. There were times when he made horrible choices that led to sin. So we're going to read it in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 to 5. It says, In the spring of that year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Well, he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife 
of Uriah the Hittite. Well then, David sent messages to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period, and then she returned home. And later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. And we're going to finish that reading right there. See, David, David was meant to be out at war. It says when the kings normally go out to war, David was meant to be somewhere else, but instead he was at home taking a nap and like just hanging out and chilling. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. He was in the wrong place. And so as he was in the wrong place, he looked and saw this amazingly beautiful lady bathing and instead of running inside, he stopped and he gazed way too long. He lusted, he sent for her, and he slept with her. And then as we read on in chapter 11, we're not going to read on, but David tries to cover up this mistake. See, David's like, oh, I got you pregnant. Whoops, let's figure figure this out. And so what David does is he brings Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, back from the war because Uriah was an honourable man out fighting the war with the Israelite army. And David's like, oh, Uriah, how's it going, bud? Like, how's the war? What's going on? Let, let me know the report. And Uriah's like telling him, he's like, wow, I get to sit with the king. And then David's like, go home, see your wife. Like, go see your wife, man. And Uriah's like, oh, no, I won't do that. Not while my brothers are like fighting in the war. I'm, I'm an honourable man. Like, I'm going to sit here and, and not go home and have that enjoyable time with my wife. And so David's like, oh, okay. So he brings him back again, tries to get him drunk, tries to do the same thing. But Uriah is an honourable man. And so instead, King David's like, fine, he's not going to go sleep with his wife. So I can't like hide the pregnancy that way. So he says to Joab, the commander of the army, he's like, put Uriah where the fighting is the worst and then when it's really bad, like get everybody else to leave and just leave Uriah to fight, basically is what I'm paraphrasing here. And so that's what happens. Uriah goes back to war, Joab puts him in a high, like a really bad fight and then pulls back and Uriah the Hittite dies. And so then David comes in, King David comes in, and he marries Bathsheba and comforts his new wife. That's, that's a lot, and that's messed up. But the thing is, God knows all things. God knows all things. Here is King David, a man after God's own heart that we look to and think is this amazing king, and he is, and he was an amazing king. And yet he stuffed up big. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 to 12, the Lord sends Nathan the prophet to talk to David about what's happened. And before verse 7, Nathan the prophet tells David a story. And basically through that story, King David realizes that he has sinned against God. And so in verse 7, it says, The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel, and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much more. 
Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites. You've stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me, God, by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what have you done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. David was a man after God's own heart. And here we see him fulfill his own lustful desires. We see him ignore the word of God. He knew it, but he ignored the word of God. And as he did this, we see that there were consequences. Like he literally brought them upon himself. But in that, we also know that David was a man who loved God's word. He knew God's law. He wrote so many of the Psalms. Why did he do this? Why did he do this? Where was David's heart? And when we think about this part of David's life, it might not be too long before we can relate it to perhaps other people's lives. There have been many Christian leaders who have sinned similarly in this way. They've had big consequences because of this sin that have even broken up churches and families and just left people so broken. And that's essentially what David had done. But I think sometimes we can focus on like the hugeness of that. We also have some things like that in our own lives too. I mean, we may have started off really excited in our journey with Jesus. We were on fire for him. We were like taking on giants with stones because God was on our side and we knew that he was on our side. We were reading his word, meditating on it day and night, serving God and his people and leading others to love God and love others. And then over time, perhaps we get too confident. We become complacent. And here's King David thinking, I'm a good king. I don't need to go off to war. I've had enough time at war and battling. We might think, I'm good with the God stuff. Like, I don't really need to read my Bible today. I don't, I don't need to go to small group. I don't need to go to church. Like, it's okay. Or I'm, I'm good. I'll just say a quick prayer. I'm good in my marriage. I'm, I can look at these photos, or I can stay in that conversation a little longer than I should, or I'm good in my job, I'm only borrowing this time or these, these resources. No one will know, but bit by bit, we can fade into someone that we never actually intended to be. Like we want, our hearts did want and probably do want to please God, but then somewhere along the line, we started to step back along the journey and wanted to please ourselves more than please God. And so in King David's case, it led him to commit adultery and murder an innocent man. God knows our hearts. God knows all things. And the amazing thing is in all of that, God always, always wants us to come back to him. So this is hope. 
Forgiveness is always a possibility for us while we are still breathing. But the question is, are we going to return to him? See, I love that God actually sent Nathan the prophet to talk to David about what he had done because God cared so much for King David that he still had a way and a person to go, look, David, like this isn't good and there's going to be some hard times because of it. But God still loves you. And while we might not always have people who call us out, although I think we have at times, we do have people who are looking out for us and who can pull us up and go, that's not so good or that's not so right. We also have the word of God. We have the literal word of God. And when we read it, he reveals his truth to us. He reveals to us the things in our lives that we need to deal with and confess to him. And that's exactly what King David did. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13, it says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. You won't die for this sin. David confessed his sin and there were still consequences as a result of this sin because he literally ignored the commands of God. And in life, there's often going to be different consequences that we have, the things that we've made, mistakes we've made. But it's always the opportunity and what we do with that. When David realized he had done the wrong thing, he confessed. And I know in our lives, or in my life, how many times have I or have we gone against something that we know God's word talks about? God's word says, stay away from this, but we're like, no, it's all right. It'll be okay. We'll figure it out. Or maybe even our parents have said, don't go that way, but we're like, no, it's okay. Like, what do you know? Even though they're trying to tell us the truth and protect us. I could list a whole heap of different things in God's word that God says to stay away from. But I'm thinking it's likely that you probably already potentially already know them. Like if there's something in your life that you're thinking of right now that you've read in God's word that says to stay away from that, or maybe someone who loves you and cares for you has said you need to stay away from that or stop doing that. And that thing is leading you away from Jesus and it goes against his word, then that thing is really probably is a sin to you, a sin for you. And if we do nothing about it, we're going to have some struggles. It could be financial, emotional, spiritual. But we always have the opportunity to return. And so David knew that after he had lusted after someone's wife, he'd committed adultery and murder, he recognized the weight of this. And he comes to Psalm 51 And this is his prayer and confession. We're going to read all of it, verses 1 to 19. King David says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. 
Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O God, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. And then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. What we read in this and see in this is that God can restore. God can and does and will and wants to restore. See, when it came to King David, he really wanted to be close to God. His heart was that he wanted to honour God. He wanted to follow God. God knew his heart. God knew all that he had done. And when David came to him repenting and longing to be close to him again, God restored him. Like David knew that he needed God. He knew that life without God was not life that he was meant to live. And he knew that God deserved all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. Even as king, David knew that God was the one on the throne. And that's the same for us too. See, we can come back to God, to have God create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit in us. We can come before him no matter what has happened. and He can restore us. It's what Jesus did for us. 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And that promise is available to us right now through the amazing grace of Jesus. See, God will restore and he wants to restore what has been broken. What is amazing about the life of King David is that even after this, he continued to be king. He was this amazing king and he had other sons. He had other children, but other sons with Bathsheba. And one of these sons was King Solomon. King Solomon is known as the wisest king. He is the king who wrote the book of the Proverbs, and he was actually the one that built God's temple, King David's son. But Solomon also has a brother named Nathan, and Nathan was also a son of Bathsheba. We can read about this in Jesus' genealogy found in Luke chapter 3. 
And so Matthew talks about Joseph's line. Luke talks about Mary's line. Both of them come back to King David, even though they go through different people after King David. Matthew through Solomon, Luke through Nathan, but both from King David. And I find that so amazing because God was able to take this situation where this King, King David stuffed up big time, commits adultery and murder, and yet uses King David's family generation after generation to bring his begotten son into the world. God carries on his family tree up to Jesus through this line of people who are messed up, who made mistakes, who were hurting, but people who, some who really turned away from God, others who really loved the Lord with all their heart and turned to him, people who weren't even Israelites coming into the family of God. That's the amazing thing about God's grace. He, God knows our hearts. God knows absolutely all things, everything that's ever happened in our lives, and God can restore And so maybe there's people in our family tree or things that have happened in our family life that we look at and we're like, well, they've gone too far. Like, they've stuffed up too much. We'll just write them off. God knows all things. God can restore. Perhaps maybe it's even you in your family. Maybe you look at your life and go, well, my journey's kind of just been hard and I feel like I've let the family down. But maybe you feel like you've stuffed up, but that's... The truth is, God can restore. God wants to restore. Maybe you've been told that you're not good enough, that you can't succeed, but as we look at the family tree of Jesus, when we look at these people, and then when we look at the people who Jesus ministered to, to the people that Jesus loved, the people that remind us that God doesn't look at the outward appearance, God looks at and knows our hearts. So God knows your heart. He knows all things and he wants to restore you. He wants to restore your family. He is powerful. He doesn't need us to be perfect. He just needs us to be willing to be able to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I've got this stuff in my past or in my family, but I need you and I want to follow you create in me a clean heart, blot out my sin, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Or maybe it's even saying, Jesus, I'm struggling with this person in my family or whoever it is, but they need you. You know their past. You know their life. Help me to love them like you love them. And so this Christmas, as we maybe come together with family or whatever that looks like, like. Remember, God knows your heart. God knows all things, and he wants to and can restore, and that is the hope of Christmas. There is hope because of what Jesus has done. He loves you. He has a plan for you, and all we have to do is just come before him and recognize and acknowledge our deep need of him. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that you love us. I thank you so much for the life of King David that we can look at his life and still see a man who loved you, a man who wanted to honour you, 
who did honor you. And so, God, I thank you that you love David, and because of that, we know that you love us as well. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus into this world, that we would be able to have life with you, that we are able to know you, to be your sons and daughters. We thank you so much for that gift, God. And Lord, I thank you that you know our hearts, that you know all the things that have happened and all the things going on even right now and that through that all you can restore. Through that all you can restore every heart that is broken, every relationship, our physical illnesses, God. We know that you can restore. Lord, we thank you for the things that you are going to do. And I just lift up those listening in, on, in person or online, whenever that is, God, I pray that we would be able to turn to you each day and run to you, God, knowing that we need you so much and that you, all you want of us is to return to you, to return so that we can be restored. I thank you for the things that you're going to do in our lives and in our families as we return to you. And so, Lord, we lift up those people in our lives who are on our hearts, who we long for them to return to you. We long for them to know you. Lord, I pray that as we have conversations, that their hearts would continue to be open to you. God, I pray that you would help us to love others as you love to be kind, compassionate, to be strong and faithful to you. Thank you for your goodness and for what you're going to do now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.